Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from 360 Learning, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm welcoming back Nigel Payne to discuss hybrid learning. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us, and thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Nigel, welcome back to the Learning and Development Podcast. It has been. Uh, well, well, Nigel, um, the last two years or so have, uh, uh, have seen L&D adapt, uh, as well as all of us, to, to changing work practices and restrictions that have required most, if not all, to reevaluate their value to their organisation. The overnight elimination of face-to-face -face solutions meant that many had to refocus and reskill. This didn't just happen in the face of a global pandemic, but also in light of an impending skill shortage. Now, from this disruption rose a new term that I know you've taken exception to, hybrid learning. Uh, so my first question, what's the problem with hybrid learning? Nothing really, David, apart from one really crucial fact, that when you start talking about models like hybrid learning or any of the other um, models, it's inward looking. It is not L&D focusing on its constituents and trying to do the best and most appropriate for them. It's L&D riding on a bandwagon and applying a model. And I always think that it's great for selling stuff to people. It's great for um, cliches and marketing slogans, but it ain't that great for the customer. That is my gripe. And, I, and I'm just seeing so many of these terms that just come and go. The, the term du jour and hybrid learning is one of those. And that's what particularly drove me crazy. What is the difference between hybrid learning and learning? You've got to do learning in the context, in the circumstances. Doesn't need that stupid label as far as I'm concerned. Well, there's so much there I'd like to unpack with you, Nigel, and we'll, we'll as the uh, as the conversation unravels, um, but uh, or maybe reveals itself rather than unravels. Um, now, Nigel, you compare the term and associated fad of hybrid learning to others that have dazzled L&D for a while before disappearing. What is it with L&D and fads? But before you answer, can I just say my favourite uh, of all the fads uh, was interactive video. Uh, it was all the rage. Uh, you couldn't get away from it about a decade ago, and then it vanished without a trace. So what is it with us and fads? I actually think it's uh, it's not necessarily L&D, either the people doing the work in organisations. It's the suppliers who need a new badge uh, around which to market often the very same stuff. So that when we went through mobile learning, <laughs> what the hell, you know, that how ridiculous. Uh, and we went through brain-friendly learning or brain-based learning and uh, and interactive learning and before long before that interactive video yeah it's it's basically let's not change anything but let's add a badge which makes it relevant and up to the moment and for you worth buying so that that's i think it is to do with marketing and finding a new way of positioning often the very same old, same old. And that is, it encourages a kind of weak weakness. You don't look for evidence. You don't examine what really works. 
you buy a badge and I, it's never going to be good, never going to be successful as far as I'm concerned. You need to be more critical. Yeah, uh, and, and again, we'll come we'll come back to that uh, shortly. I know in a, in a conversation that we had just prior to this recording here, and I'd, I'd mentioned that uh, there's so many um, uh, uh, vendors who never worked in learning and development provide us with a map of the territory and saying this is how you do learning and development. And of course, the criticism is is that never having worked a day in learning and development, that map is nothing like. Like like working in learning and development functions. I don't know about you, Nigel. I've 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 worked in five learning and development functions across four organisations, and I barely recognise sometimes what is presented to me as the job that I was doing. I don't know. I don't know about you. It's exactly the same. I, I know. I, I do sound like a grumpy old man, but when I when I hear people <laughs> telling me what it is, when I did it, I know what it is. I have viscerally been involved. You know. You know what it's like having to build a space for, for learning and development and arguing for it and delivering for the organization. It is very different than buying a piece of software. And it seems to me that there's, we're getting very close to this equation. If you spend this money and you buy this software, your job is done. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's simply not true. Just as if you embrace hybrid learning, your job is done. It's actually not even started at that point. That's what, that's what drives me me crazy. So grumpy I may be, but I, I I still think that you and I actually know what we're talking about. And a lot of people who are giving us their wisdom don't really know what they're talking about. And that's sad, I think. We've got to take the ground back. You know, we've got to own this space, not give it away. Yeah, I agree, Nigel. Grumpy or not, uh, I think, yeah, I'd like to think we know what we're talking about as well. But let's be generous. Look, we can see the allure of hybrid learning uh, in inverted commas. Uh, we fell for blended learning as a way to, of sustaining the investment in a face-to-face -face training program by perhaps doing some e-learning before and providing something afterwards. It helped us to say we'd done all we could. So if it didn't work, it was the employee and their manager's fault. And we've all been there. So hybrid learning in response to hybrid working must be a thing, right? So what are we what are we what are we facing if we are not facing a need for hybrid learning right now we're facing uh, i think a, a crucial deficit learning deficit in organizations that as the world becomes more insecure uncertain and turbulent then the only way that organizations can register and deal with that is to increase the the um, ability of people to conquer the complexities and to help the organization reestablish itself. So we need a lot of learning and we need to learn in different ways. And to add a badge is completely irrelevant because it may be that we don't need hybrid learning. Maybe what is crucial is that people in an organization talk to each other so they can work on a firmer base and know what the organization knows in order to go forward. Maybe it is that we need to combine being with people and being uh, and learning remotely. Who knows? But the last thing I would ever do to anyone in an organization is tell them what they need. I would try to help them work out for themselves what is the optimum uh, requirement in this particular situation. But the situation, you and I, we're outside at the moment. We do not understand the situation profoundly. People inside understand it. And our job is to help work with them so that they can build something in context 
And as soon as you say hybrid learning, you're out of the context. And, and context for me, increasingly, context is everything. It doesn't happen in vanilla land. It happens in a real place with real people in real circumstances. Yeah, and similar to blended learning, when it's when it's a conversation that's outside of organisations, we're talking about or predetermining ways in which we may deliver content and programmes rather than standing in the shoes of the people who, are, who we are seeking to influence in order to help them with what they're trying to do at the time they actually need us. And then we get, we get wrapped up in this, you know, that, you know, it might have sound like a frivolous comment when I was talking about uh, interactive video earlier, but that was another example, perhaps in the same way as AR and VR has been viewed uh, in recent years, that new and novel ways of delivering content and programs is gonna help us to, to address the engagement challenge that learning and development has had for decades. Um, and by challenging the engagement uh, challenge, we'll then get to influence the work rather than the other way around, which just seems bonkers. It is bonkers. And, and I think if you look at the evidence, I think you are talking the truth. There is plenty of research evidence to say that if you have solutions in search of problems, you don't do as better than if you actually try to deeply understand the problem and craft a solution without the, the, the requirement for badges and labels. I also think it, it makes L&D look foolish. You know, when you go into some non-L&D, oh, I think hybrid is a solution we, we should occupy here. And people go, what the hell are you talking about? What do you mean? Just give us something that works. Oh, it's definitely got to be blended. You know, it's just jargon and it, and it doesn't help. And in some ways, it, it actually actively hinders. It stops you thinking. Because you, you come up with this solution, hybrid learning, and then you look around for the problem that you can squash in. Other, it's the other way around that matters. Just like you said, we work out, profoundly understand the problem, and then craft solutions that, that are going to solve the problem or at least attack the problem, not start with, with, with an idea or a model or a label and work, and work from that point. So therefore, I just think it gets in the way, really and it doesn't help that's that's my gripe rather than it's a particularly bad term you know it's it's a, it's a term like any other but i just don't think it helps very much and it's so so badgy now you know yeah I go on the website you know, hybrid this we've got hybrid we can help you with hybrid come to hybrid does it, it just I, every time i see that i just cringe basically that's it. So yeah, plenty, plenty of we sell um, we sell hybrid, which is which is a huge part of the problem uh, because as we mentioned earlier, that uh, that there is an influential market of vendors, as we you know many of them who haven't worked in learning and development who think that uh, that they know how it should work and then they design products and services that address their interpretation of the job, but in reality they don't really fully understand. I've described it in the past as as watching learning and development through a keyhole. Um, you know, from the outside and then thinking that they've got enough of an understanding that what you need is a better way of surfacing generic content. And, 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 and I don't know about you, Nigel, but, but if you're looking through a keyhole and you think that that's the answer, you really don't understand the, the, uh, the full problem. But how much of the problem is the, the influential market of vendors and how much of it is that, that we're in a profession that seems lost and so easily swayed? I actually think it's more the latter. You know, I've got my obsession with practice at the moment that if everyone in L&D saw themselves as practitioners and a key part of their role was to enhance their practice, I think that would 
set them on the right path. You know, if, if you go and see a physio tomorrow, David, and say, oh, it's my hip, the, the physio doesn't say, well, if it's your hip, David, then this is what I'm going to sort out. The physio will say, well, just let me see, now move your back. Oh, well, actually, I think there's a problem in your shoulder. And they work out what the issue is, and, and they solve it. And they keep in touch. They work, they work on new uh, techniques or new ways of, uh, of dealing with problems. And they, they enhance their practice. And they would never allow anyone to come in. They're alone at a vendor saying, I've got this machine, Dave, and it's going to solve all your hip problems overnight. So just buy this. Like, there's no way. But they are in control of their practice and they get better at their practice. Um, I just think that I would like to see more L&D people who are in control of their practice and are determined to get better at their practice. And when I say get better at their practice, that isn't, you know, working out which bit of software to use. It's deeply understanding the problem. Like uh, uh, the, the best physio that you will ever meet deeply understands what the issue is for you and will work on trying to solve the whole, David, not just all oh, that hurts a bit. Whereas I think uh, in, in L&D, it's someone, even someone says, this hurts a bit, and without asking any question, you go, right, I got the perfect gel that will sort that out. Even if that doesn't do anything, it makes everyone feel better. So there's a real, that is the deficit, you know, that, that be a practitioner, please, and, and profoundly understand what the issue is. And therefore, you have a different relationship with the supplier. We all need suppliers. Clearly, every, every profession has to have suppliers. But that you, you've got to get the right relationship, not suppliers who tell you what you need, but you ask them what will fit the bill that you've already determined. So that's, that's to me, maybe that's very naive and simplistic, but to me, that's the nub of the, nub of the issue. So, so what I'm understanding from what you're saying, Nigel, uh, and, and, you know, and if it's the case, then I certainly agree, there are no goodies and baddies. No one's taken advantage. There's just a gap. That, that needs to be filled. And if it's not being filled inside organizations, then, then there's a void that's gonna be filled elsewhere. But, but also um, from what I gained from you, from, from your analogy there, uh, is that, that we need to spend more time understanding what it is that we are seeking to address. And I know that we're, that we're both advocates of, of data and evidence-based practice. What is data and evidence-based practice in the context of, of this and, and the analogy that you just mentioned that's going to help us to close the gap ourselves, but also stop us falling for nonsense? Well, I think there are, there are two or three points. The first one is that um, one of the massive gaps in, in L&D is not doing enough field work. And I think field work is a great, a great help. If you go out there and you talk to people, you observe what's really going on in the organization, you'll understand that what someone is telling you is the problem isn't actually the problem at all. It's somewhere completely different. And you therefore focus on, on the organization and you focus on solving organizational problems. And if some of those are to do with individual competence or individual systems or individual performance, good, let, let's deal with that. But you always start with what is happening in the organization that, that isn't right just as you should start as a, if you were a doctor with the whole David James, not just this hurts or I don't feel well. But the problem is that, that it's like um, you have a drug uh, salesperson next to you. And when someone as a doctor and someone comes and says, oh, I, you know, I don't feel well. Hey, David, this, is, this drug is the one. 
you go, all right, okay, right, this drug will sort you out. You know, you've, you've done no analysis, no field work, you haven't tested anything. So it's it's getting, doing your testing and then presenting a case to the organization and saying, there's a whole case, I can solve this bit of it, but you have to solve these other bits. And we work together on, on writing this organization or transforming this organization or at least putting this organization back on its track. And the only way you can do that is, the only way you can get credibility in that context is, is present evidence. Like if you're a finance director, you have evidence all over the place. You walk in with you know, a big bundle of spreadsheets and say, David, look at this here. You see, that's the evidence. And you go, right, oh, crikey, I better do something about that. But that finance director, that evidence didn't magic itself. And the finance director didn't make a decision because someone who knows nothing about finance walks up to the FD and said to her, well, what I think the problem is, we haven't got enough of this. We had that and you go, yeah, you're right, you're right. I'll go and tell the CEO. We haven't got it. It doesn't happen like that. Whereas in L&D, you don't go in with your, this is the evidence I've got here to show what we have to do. You go in and say, oh, you think that's the problem? Right, I'll go away and solve it. So there's this massive competence and credibility gap between, say, a, a, a finance person, a marketing person, uh, an L&D person, or ops person, L and sales person, L&D person. And I think they should be all on the same level and they should operate in the same way. And, and it, sometimes it's more evident with finance. You, you can work it out more clearly. Sometimes with sales, you can work it out more clearly. But I, I think often, with performance gaps, it's obvious, and you obfuscate what's obvious by bringing in silly terms and, and clip solutions and, and looking for problems to fit a solution you just purchased and you've got to get your money's worth, you know, all of that stuff. So um, I think it's serious, actually, David. I think, I think that this gap is massive when we're working through huge capability gaps in organizations, just finding it so difficult to, to adjust to this new world, which is really tough. You know, it's not an easy world out there. And we need people who can think and, and work things out, not people who just grab something off the, off the you know, passing truck or grab that, that must work, because it's, it's, it's not going to necessarily. It might, but it's too much of a gamble. You need evidence. You need evidence and clarity of thought. So let's this let's break this down because because uh, the vast majority of learning and development initiatives um, uh, begin in in a similar way. You, you know, we, we've talked about one there, and we, we can expand on it more when uh, a, a stakeholder asks for training. I, I say that because it's very rare that they say, "Can I have your help?" Usually, it is I'd like some training, and before you even got there, they've sold it to the team. So, so you, there's some unpacking to do. Uh, then, then there is the um, um, minimal observation. Somebody with some clout in your organisation says, "We need all. We need to train everybody on this because they received one email and it wasn't right." And so, all of a sudden, we need to get uh, uh, everybody needs um, uh, training. Uh, and then there is the dreaded implementing best practice. Either the learning and development person, the head of HR, or somebody in the, the organization has worked somewhere where something was introduced, or they've read the latest book, or they're jumping on the latest bandwagon, and learning and development have to jump. Now, acting on any of those, as would be established practice, is not data and evidence based. 
usually conversations were, go along the lines of, uh, brilliant, what would you like in it? Who, who, when would you like it and who's uh, and who should attend um you know then you go off and you do research you fill up your uh, your, your program and get everybody through it uh, as uh, as best you can and then of course the cherry on the top of the cake is looking back and wondering whether it made any difference but of course data and evidence-based practice you know is possible in each and every one of those scenarios so what would what would your advice be um, on uh, on establishing uh, a more data and evidence-based uh, approach to, to any of those? One word, ask why. You think there's an issue here. What makes you think that? And what evidence have you got? Uh, is it okay if I go and talk to a few people and just validate what you've told me? Uh, do you think there are any other areas that could point to the problem or indicate why this problem occurs? Have you thought about discussing this with X, Y, and Z? Would you mind if I just do some investigation and I come back to you with, with my analysis and I'll bring, some, I'll bring some evidence to you to point to the way forward? Can we work together on this? You know, can, can a couple of people from my team join your team and just observe and see what's going on? All of those conversations that I've just indicated will get you so much further down the track with, yes, okay, I'll deliver it. When do you need it? Friday, okay. And then straight out the door, get a course on X because they want it in, in Z department. We need it, we need it. And it's, it's just, uh, it's, a failure of, it's a failure of professionalism, I think, you know, that, that you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that in any other part of the business. And yet we, we sort of, you know, jump, you know, how high do you want me to jump, sir? You know, I, I just think that order taker mentality, it, it's partly because everyone is an expert in L&D, unlike, you know, no one is going to say to the finance guy, no, no, you got that wrong. <laughs> this, you need this. But, but in L&D, we all think we know. So I think you, you just need to blind people with your deep and profound knowledge of, you know, human behavior and motivation and understanding and not, not accept any of the nonsense. Uh, and, and stand firm on that. And it's hard. It's very, very hard when you've got the force of the organization coming down on you like a ton of bricks. But you can do it. Just using that those techniques that I've just said, ask a few questions. But the most important one is why. Why do you think that? And it, it often just that question is enough to undermine a whole strategy that someone's come stamping in the room with because they haven't thought about why at all. They just think, we need this. Get it. Sort it. What's the matter with you, James? Get it done. And uh, it, it's infuriating. And the fact that it still goes on is deeply frustrating. Because, you know, every year you think, oh, well, we've knocked that on the head. <laughs> no, we haven't. We haven't knocked it on the head at all. And in some ways, you know, the, well, we get some hybrid learning. That sounds like a, like a thought-through solution. But it's just, it's just jargon for, I don't have to think here. <laughs> and I think, I actually think thinking is really important and analysis and evidence and we, you know if we if we truly understand what it is that people uh, need our help with then then as you said we we're, we're not looking at the latest fad and then thinking well how do we do this in a hybrid way what you do is you fully seek you seek to understand the problem as much as you can and then um, uh, experiment yeah, to apply the, the solutions exactly. that's it solutions that actually work rather than that deliver and may be consumed in a variety of ways that match where people might be working now. It's a completely different different approach. And also you're dealing with a group of people who recognize 
the problem because you've talked to them. They recognize there's, there are performance issues and they actually want a solution as well. So that when you're trying something out and they say, nah, that doesn't really help, they are pushing back and they are the, they're, they're your true customer. And therefore you craft something that uh, that element work, that element, let's pull those two things together. And you come up with something which is genuinely transformational. And I think that if you can come up with something that makes people's lives easier, helps them do their job more effectively, helps them understand the organization with a bit more clarity, they'll bite your hand off. Coming in with, we've got a hybrid solution here, so you know it's gonna really be good, it is, doesn't help you. And it increases this kind of disillusion with, with uh, L&D. It's all bullshit, you know, they're, they're, all, they're all on the jargon bandwagon. And, and they don't do anything that really helps. So, you know, th this stuff we're talking about, David, um, grumpy or not, I, I actually think it's really important, really fundamentally important. I hope people listen to this podcast and, and at least get a measure of that and try some of it out. Because you don't, you don't, I don't need to create another bandwagon in order to just ask a few questions. And asking questions is increasingly, uh, I, I think, asking questions is an incredibly important way of uh, moving forward just deeply understanding what's going on and trying to get at not the issue but the underlying issue and perhaps even the issue underlying the underlying issue get at get at reality of an organization not some superficial gloss because someone's told you there's a problem but as you said um when when asking those questions uh, about what what what's not working and how should it be working not being afraid to be discussing things that don't fall under the learning remit because as, as you said you, you know you might be talking to to your physiotherapist or your gp in the first place who who isn't a physiotherapist who doesn't know surgery but the best the better they understand your holistic issue the more likely they're able to point you in the right direction i think that's the case when you're sitting next to your stakeholder uh, and they are learning with you about the, the the holistic view of their problem they know that that's not going to be fixed with a training course they know that they're going to have to provide information or make a connection between them or one of their peers in order to get two teams working together and they'll also know when they don't have the uh, the, the the right uh, skills or, or nous within their team right now and which bits that you can help with so so going in there with a partnership approach asking good questions to find out what the the entirety of the problem is is going to help everybody rather than thinking well what i'll do is i'll keep the conversation on the learning bit just in case i'm asked or or, or expected to get involved with uh, other areas that aren't my skill set totally right and, and David, you know that uh, this nonsense that that in some ways you can clean learning and development and and only deal with what you is in your domain and keep out of everyone else's domain is utterly ridiculous. That you're solving organisational problems and some of these are performance issues, some of them are structural, some of them are cultural, some of them maybe you know e economic and and market based. But you've got to understand all of those to craft a solution that works for the organization. And that requires deeply understanding the context, not avoiding the context. That's why, you know, that the, the Jack Phillips ROI model is so, so I would say awful, because it, it pretends that in some way you can, you can purify the impact of learning in an organization. And I think even if you have that in your head, it's wrong, it's the wrong way. You've got to do the opposite. You've got to get dirty. You've got to muddle it all up. 
and often solutions are a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of something else. We all need to pull together in order to right the wrong or right the organization or solve the, the challenge. And when you, you feel part of an organizational team with, you know, I can do the, the L&D bit, but that's not the full, the full solution or that's not the full story. I think you, you feel better about that because you're actually contributing. You're not kind of doing something and in the back of your head is a little nagging voice saying, this is a total waste of time. So as we wrap up the conversation, Nigel, what advice would you give to the listener to ensure they see the next fad for what it is and what they should do instead? Essentially, you, you've got to turn from being an inward-looking huddle to being an outward-focused uh, group. And I would use those two words that I've already used in the podcast and emphasize those again. The first word is fieldwork. And it's not just you doing the fieldwork, the entire team has to do fieldwork. And you have to negotiate that with the whole organization. And once that process begins, it's usually unstoppable. And it also means that I think you operate with so much more confidence because you're operating with evidence in your hand. Secondly, to look for evidence, you know, that, that there is research material out there. Just check out any bits of theory that you think you know about and check that, that those are valid. And don't spend, I, I'm not talking about doing a big deal and doing, you know, full academic lit reviews, but I do mean being aware of what is out there and be cynical about glib articles with no evidence to back them up that tell you this is transformational and life-changing and all the other things that are used. Just be a little bit cynical. And the, the final key word is practice. See yourself as a practitioner. Develop your practice month on month, year on year. And if you do your field work, you, you see yourself as a practitioner. You bring evidence to bear and you see outward looking that you're part of the bigger organizational group team and that most problems need to be solved together, not in isolation. I think that puts you on a much stronger footing and you don't then you don't hear all the noise of you know hybrid this or interactive that. You just focus on the business, what, what you need to do to get this, get your organization moving in context that works for it and its people. That's my, my biggest, biggest piece of advice. Yeah, that's great advice. Thanks, Nigel. Uh, and finally, if people wish to contact you uh, or follow your work, how best can they do so? NigelPayne.com, www.nigelpayne.com. Um, follow me on LinkedIn. You know, that I, I do use LinkedIn quite a lot and I see stuff there and I post um, most things there. Or you can follow me on Twitter. I've got a weird Twitter handle called eBase, E-B-A-S-E, -E, and I won't go into why I've got that. I kind of regret it now, but at the time it seemed like a good idea. So, yes, you can you can track me down. I'm easy to find, um, easy to follow. So I'm, I'm always glad to hear from people and always that even people who are listening to this and saying i don't agree with that tell me why i'd be very keen to start a debate with you wonderful and we'll put some links in the show notes um so nigel's all left for me to say is thank you very much for being a guest again on the learning and development podcast it's great pleasure david i always enjoy our conversations thank you so much as we discussed lnd seems susceptible to fads and fiction whether these are baseless or not and the only way to cut through the noise is to equip ourselves with data and evidence. We'll forever be seeking new and novel solutions if we don't know for sure what we need to work on. I can't remember how many times I've said this on the podcast, but it remains appropriate whilst we continue to jump on nonsense.
If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and hundreds of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me to perhaps suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn. Again, the links will be in the show notes. But goodbye for now.